I'm going to move forward a little because we're quite wide tonight. Um, hey, wonderful to have you all here if you're new, which seems like quite a few of you, um, then um, great to have you here. Uh, we um, have been in 10 weeks of uh, our seasonal guide around Lent. Lent ended three or four weeks ago, um, but we are now just on the edge of Pentecost. Um, where we remember that um, the Holy Spirit came in tongues of fire and all these people who couldn't understand each other did all of a sudden and um, it was really exciting and so the church began to bloom and explode. A couple of... Explode? Yeah. um, A couple of things just before I kick into um, today's talk. Um, We have next week, uh, Rose Morris is going to be sharing the visioniness of Blueprint for this year, Um, which is like the first time I haven't done that in like four years, so I'm like really nervous but really stoked. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'm really nervous. Um, So that's going to be fantastic. So if you are lingering around the edges of Blueprint um, and want to know what we're about and what we do next week, big week, come along. It's going to be monumental, eh? So good. Like, you have not heard anything like what you're about to hear next week. That could go either way, but, um, you know, um, nah, it's going to be great. Um, we also have um, uh, the um, first inaugural SSBM, um, the Super Special Blueprint Meeting, um, which is coming up next week on Tuesday. And basically what that is, is if, if you're one of those people who likes to know where your money goes in this place and how we make decisions and things like that, you can come along to that. That's on the 7pm uh, Tuesday, the 1st of May. To come along to that, you need to fill out the little VP, which asks you some questions. And, uh, and what that does is it kind of helps us shape the discussion for the night so that we will talk about the things we need to talk about. So there'll be a lot of discussion and things around that. Um, and yes, I think that's it. Um, so what I want to talk about tonight um, is we have this amazing kind of history in Blueprint over the last 12 or 13 years of somehow holding together these two spaces of justice and um, the charismatic power of God, which are not normally things that often hold together. Um, and so often you get like your kind of justice junkies who kind of like you know run off and form intentional communities and go away over here, um, to my left of course, um, <laughs> and, um, and go over here and they um, get to know their neighbours really well and they, they do rhythms of prayer, but sometimes a year or two later they come to this place of profound exhaustion um, and they're like, we want to see real transformation but it's a hard graft. Then on the other end, you've got these guys who go along and throw their hands around in rooms every Sunday and jump around um, to Planet Shakers. Um, and, um, you know, and they should call me on my right somewhere. Um, and, um, and jump around there. And, um, and sadly, sometimes the power of God is so present when you get together, but yet there can be a real absence of knowing the neighbour or knowing the person who is struggling. And so something that Blueprint has tried to be is a place where we can hold together what have been viewed as polarities but actually aren't, um, but we can, can be people committed to justice, to mercy and to compassion, but we can also be people who really believe in the power of God. So I'm going to talk about that a little tonight, but also um, we don't have a worship team. So last time we didn't have a worship team, I led us in kind of a contemplative prayer exercise. Tonight we're going to wait on the Holy Spirit. Poosh. Um, so, some of you are like, yeah, and others of you are like, oh, awkward. Um, but that's what we're going to do at the end Why of this talk. Um, there's just no worship because Hamish can't be everywhere at once, Nathan. Um, so, what we're going to do is I'm going to read a piece of scripture to you to start with. And you can close your eyes and you can imagine it if you want. It is from 1 John 3, 16 to 24. Here we go. 
This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him everything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them and this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit that he gave us. So the first thing I want to talk about tonight is what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Um, and when I think of what is love, um, the moment that comes to mind for me of one of my most profound experiences of love um, was um, a few years ago. And, um, and, and, and I had this three or four years of deep and dark depression and anxiety where I kind of fell into the space of self-loathing and could not lift myself out. I went to the prayer, I went to the counselling. None of these things would change the place that I was in. And I can remember this one night, Anna and I were away camping with some people, um, and the, um, you know, the sun had gone down and it was pitch black, and just going into this place of real darkness within myself. And thinking, I don't, I just don't know how to get out of here. And there's something about when you already feel dark, being in a literally dark place <laughs> is not helpful. And I remember crawling into the, the tent next to Anna um, and just sobbing and just being aware of this darkness all around me and Anna leaning over, putting her arms around me and becoming personified love, becoming the arms of God to me in that moment. And it's a beautiful moment and a beautiful story and a beautiful picture of love for me, but somehow those words still aren't quite enough for me to describe what love actually is. When we talk of love, we're always reduced to metaphors. We're always reduced to talking what love is like. It's the same when we talk about God, you know? We say God is kind of like a trinity, a Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You know, God is like a tall tree or a mountain or a river, you know? We say of love that love is like a feeling... Love is like a fire, love is like an ocean, but when we reflect in them, we go, none of those things actually cut it. They don't actually say what love is like. There's this famous poem, a few of you will know, Sonnet 43, by, um, I think it's Elizabeth Browning, and she says, How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love thee to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach, when feeling out of sight, for the ends of being an ideal grace. I love thee to the level of every day's most quiet need by sun and candlelight. I love thee freely as men strive for right. Or if you're like me and that's a bit too smart for you, then um, Huey Lewis in the news said, it don't take money, it don't take fame, it don't need no credit card to ride this train. <laughs> it's strong and it's sudden and it can be cruel sometimes, but it might just save your life. That's the power of love. Huh. Um, <laughs> When we talk of love, we're always reduced to metaphor. We're always reduced to trying to get love to express through this limited language that we have. And many of the foolish things that we do as humans in the world are a result of us trying to capture this love 
that is like a vapor or a mist in front of us. We, we want unmediated love. We don't want words to have to be in the space between us and this love. We just want to stare at that love face to face. And perhaps this is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, he said that love is like staring into a mirror dimly. It's like this dirty, dusty mirror, and we can never quite see it for what we know it actually is. It's this hunger to experience real love that sees a young kid join a gang to experience fano and to experience belonging and love. It's, it's this hunger to capture love that sees someone sleep with someone too soon, hoping that in sexual ecstasy they will experience something of that love. It's the one who never got the love from the parents that they needed, so they spend the rest of their lives trying to achieve things, to earn that love. We are trying to grasp a mist or a vapour. We want to know what love really is, but somehow we can't grab hold of it. We just don't have words for it. We don't have a picture for it. And this is one of the great hopes of what we believe as Christians, is that all of our words and all of our metaphors about love became flesh in Jesus. This mist, this vapour that we were trying to grab hold of, became a man who came and dwelt among us. God, love among us. John 1.14, the words became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We have seen love. We have seen unmediated love in Jesus. We have seen the full personification, the full realisation of love in a way that goes beyond words that is flesh in front of us. And how does this passage begin that I read to you before? It said, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So our capturing for what love is, our desire to grab hold of this, to grab hold of the mist and the vapour, we are told that is all brought together in the Christ that laid down his life for us. Hunger no more, strive no more, look no more. It is the Son of God crucified upon a cross. If you want to satisfy that longing within you to see unmediated love, if you want to know what all the metaphors look like when we boil them down, it is Christ upon a cross. It is one who, before we cared, before we deserved it, before we wanted it, treasured us so much that he laid down his life for us. And this is why the cross is the centre of what we believe. Because if every person in the world could look upon that and understand that this is what love looks like, then we could all be liberated into the freedom of no longer having to chase the things that rob us of life and rob others of life at the same time. This is what love is, that Christ laid down his life for us. And so then it continues later in that sentence. So we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. I just want to step back a second and think about how full on this statement is. This is how we know what love is. That Jesus went upon an instrument of torture and died for us. So you should go and do the same. That's not fluffy. That's not abstract. It's one sentence. It's not even like you can go, well, there was verse 7 and verse 8, and maybe 7 was meant to be there, but 8 wasn't. No, no, no. This is all one piece of scripture here. And I think one of the things we do as like postmodern um, thinkers, and um, people of, you know, a lot of us have been to university and stuff like that, is that we have become experts in making the very clear abstract. 
So we talk about things so much until we don't have to do anything about them. You know, so we go, we talk about development studies and we talk about all the things that have failed and all the ways that we should have done it and all the ways that we didn't do it. And in the end we say, all right, we're out. Nobody's going to do anything. It's too complex. I think our generation have become masters at turning flesh back into words until it doesn't mean anything anymore. It's a crazy thing. So we do the inverse. And yet the imagery of John is not vague or abstract. This is not like way off in the clouds, ethereal thinking. This is very, very clear stuff. John talks of a man named Jesus who embodied love by being tortured on a cross. Immediately afterwards, in the same sentence, he says, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Yeah. Oh, you're more keen on that than I am. (laughs) And you know, in the 16th century, there was this movement of Christians that started called the Anabaptists. The Anabaptists were kind of forerunners of the Amish and the, um, the, the Mennonites. And uh, they had this guy, they were, they were staunchly anti-war, staunchly pacifist. Um, and they even believed that the state had got too embroiled with religion, so they were re-baptising people, going, your baptism from the state was a false baptism, we need to redo this thing. So they became heretics. And one of their most kind of famous stories was a guy named Dirk Willem. And Dirk Willem was held up in the cell, um, ready to soon to be executed. And one night he does like the most cliche prison escape you can ever imagine. He tied a set of bed sheets together and climbed out down the window. Isn't that classic? Um, maybe that's the first time we heard of it. Um, and so he climbs down and it's freezing outside and, and, and it's ice and it's snow and he begins to run. And as he begins to run, the guards notice him and they begin to chase after him. And they pursue him across the ice, and as they're pursuing him across the ice, one of these guards comes across a a patch of thin ice, and the ice cracks, and he falls in, and he begins to drown. And what does Dirk do? But turns around, runs back to the guard, and lifts him out of the hole. Dirk was was put, put to death on the stake a few days later after that, for turning around. In rescuing the guard. This is what it looks like for Christians to love the world. This is what it looks like for us to lay our lives down for our brothers and our sisters. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we were to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Not abstract, not conceptual, not just words or metaphors. Love that could not be more clear. And obviously in our Western context, the opportunities to die for each other are few and far between. Um, that we don't live in the, the 16th century. And we don't live under immediate threat. But if we thought we were off the hook, well, John kind of hits it home in the next verse. He says, in other words, he says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? In other words, if you neglect the poor, then you don't understand the love embodied in Christ on the cross. Couldn't be much clearer, right? He continues 1 John 3.18 Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Again, couldn't be much more clear. You must put flesh on the words or it isn't even God's love at all. And if we read throughout the scripture, it actually couldn't be much clearer what it is for us to love as the people of God. I think sometimes we make it abstract and confusing. 
But it says you must provide friendship to the stranger. You must provide shelter to the homeless. You must provide money to the poor. You must provide food to the hungry. You must provide clothes to the naked. You must serve at the detriment of your reputation. You must provide comfort to the downcast. You must consider the needs of the other more important than your own. This is all real clear. Real clear. This is what love is. And I don't think there's any way around it when I look in the scriptures. This is the love that Christ on the cross is meant to propel us to. This kind of love. That we would be so gripped by the fact that he gave his life for us. That we wouldn't be able to help but give our life away. For our brothers and our sisters and those who don't know Jesus as well. And we can't talk that away. M. Scott Peck, the Christian psychologist, says this. When we love someone, our love becomes demonstrable or real only through exertion. Through the fact that for someone we take an extra step or walk an extra mile, love is not effortless. To the contrary, love is effortful. Heavy stuff, huh? And as John comes to the end of this passage, he summarises these two things. He says, firstly... This is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. He says it begins at Jesus. We start with Jesus. We know what love is because of him. And then the second part, and he says, and to love one another as he commanded us. We are to love Jesus, to fall upon his love, and from there to love others. But this is really hard, right? Like, does anybody feel like they've just been kicked in the guts a little bit? Like, I'm glad, like, I knew this was coming. You guys don't know. <laughs> I can remember a few years ago, um, we had, um, when I was living at the Goat Shedwood Basin and a few guys, we had a young guy who had been kicked out of home come to live with us. We start off with all these great aspirations and dreams of how we're going <coughs> to clothe the naked and feed the hungry. And actually, I don't think we can see the naked, but, um, <laughs> um, but, um, but we are going to do all the stuff Jesus do and it's going to go great and, uh, and, and we had this like amazing start and within a few weeks he started to come alive in his faith and um, I remember that we would hear him in the corner of the house singing Hillsong United at the top of his lungs and it was like this warm fire burning in the corner of the house you know it was beautiful um, and so we baptised him one, uh, one winter's day on the south coast um, and he started going deeper and deeper in his faith. And then a few months later, the old habits started to appear again. And things started to go missing around the house. Um, his, um, his tags started to appear around the neighbourhood everywhere. Um, we'd find um, different substances around the house. And we just started to... We tried to pull it back together, but we just couldn't. And then one morning he leaves... Um, without a word, and, and that was the end of it. This kind of love that we're, we're talking about here, it's a love that hurts to give and it hurts to receive. And it's really, really hard to do. It's not just a try-harder. You cannot do this love by white-knuckling it. You cannot do this love by trying harder and harder. And so it is at the end of this passage that John says, and this is how we know that Christ lives in us. We know it by the spirit 
that he gave us. So what John lays up here is this enormous challenge. Experience a revelation of Christ on the cross that becomes your definition of love. And from there, love even to the end of your life. And if we stop there, which I feel like sometimes we do in the church, we stop it, try harder, then it goes real bad for us. And we get burnt out and we start having conversations about self-care. But if we go to the end of this passage and we look that John says you cannot do it without the Spirit of God within you. That's how this all holds together. And you know what? We could later tonight, you could sit here and you could close your eyes and you could think real hard of Jesus on the cross and him bleeding and in pain. But unless the Spirit of God reveals that to you, you will not see that as love personified. And equally, you could leave this room and you go, love my brothers and sisters like Christ laid down his life for me and what you'll do is you'll last about a year and then you'll be bitter and you'll be frustrated and you'll say it didn't work. But if you do that with the Spirit, then we find that there is a comforter and a counsellor and an empowerer who sustains us even when it hurts like hell. It is only by God's Spirit that we access this radical and reckless way of love. Only by God's Spirit that we may know what love is. Only by God's Spirit that we may give our lives away because nothing within us wants to do it on our own. that um, picture of the call to throw our lives away for the kingdom but to do it with Christ's spirit empowering us, um, I want to invite us to wait upon his spirit um, and, um, and to hear what his spirit may be saying I have a real sense that tonight, um, I, someone said to me the other week, they said um, one of the, the things they love at Blueprint is how much they feel the love of the spirit here I think that's really beautiful. I feel like there might be an opportunity here for us to encounter the power of the Spirit and the power that will reveal what Christ did on the cross to us in a new way. But for some of us who are called to love in that radical and reckless way um, to empower us with something that we haven't known before to do that. So I think what we're going to do here um, is we're going to wait in the stillness for a little bit and um, we're going to invite God's Spirit to come and, uh, and, and we're going to listen um, and we're going to see what happens. Is that cool? Cool. Like that. Tie. On it. All right. How about we close our eyes? Why don't you put your hands out in front of you to receive God's Spirit? Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. We invite you to awaken us, to awaken us to what your Son has done, to awaken us to our holy call to lay our lives down. Just feel free, either in your head or out loud, to invite the Spirit to come.